Welcome to the Mindful Sobriety Podcast with your hosts, Jane and Amanda. I'm Jane, a licensed psychotherapist and alcohol-free retreat host. And I'm Amanda, alcohol-free lifestyle coach and yoga instructor. We're so glad you're here. Guest for this week's Real Sober Stories episode is Anne, also known as the Bright-Eyed Sober Girl on Instagram. Anne's kindness and authenticity shine through in her encouraging posts and daily Instagram story featuring her black coffee and cuddly doodle. Today, Anne shares her story of recovering from childhood trauma and finding peace on the alcohol-free path through the healing power of connection, connection with friends, family, a good therapist, and faith in God. You may want to grab a tissue for this one. Get ready to be inspired and encouraged by Anne. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to hear your story and have you on the podcast today. I feel honored to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me, hanging out with me on Sunday evening. Absolutely. Well, maybe to start out, tell us a little bit about your background, kind of where you grew up and what what early life was like for you. Okay, well... I grew up in Springfield, Kentucky, which is a really small rural area, Um, not big at all. We have like five, maybe six stoplights now, so that kind of tells you anything. It's little. Uh, And we don't have a Walmart, so. Wow, that's tough. It's real little. Yeah, it does now. Yeah, yeah, but that's where I grew up, so. but I live in Lexington now, okay. so it's, you know, when I moved here like 20 years ago, it was like, wow, I'm in New York. Like, this place is <laughs> city, city life. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh-huh. I know, but yeah, I grew up um, pretty much like I was, a, I grew up with my mom and um, dad, but I'll, I'll get into more detail about that. Um, but I also was with my grandparents a lot and, uh, got to grow up on a dairy farm. So that was just super cool to get to, you know, I think back on it now, like, cause I have two little girls and I'm like, you know, that was really cool that I got to experience that. Absolutely. Um, when you grow up in it, you don't think it's that big of a deal. But in hindsight, I'm like, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I um, I feel like an only child. I technically have a half brother and a half sister. Um, we had the same father, but we just we didn't grow up together. So I never had like, you know, that close connection with a sibling. Um, so I felt alone. I think quite a bit as a little girl, but I just, I didn't have verbiage, you know, to explain Mm -hmm. any of these like big feelings that like now as an adult, I'm like, oh, wow, there's words for this. (laughs) There's language for like how you feel about things. Um, So it's just been a big, uh, a big learning process and like growing and um, so yeah, so that's, that's just kind of like how I grew up, where I grew up. Did you like in your school environment, <clears throat> did you have playmates and friends that you grew up going to school with or was it, was it pretty yeah, small? No, I, d- I definitely did. And I had a, a wonderful, um, best, like truly best friend, still my best friend today. Um, so I feel like she's a sister, you know, like we had, um, her mom, 
also had issues with addiction. Um, my dad um, struggled with addiction his entire life until he went to prison. Um, and we'll, I'm sure, talk a lot more about all that. You know, she was like such a comfort. And I think now also, like I look back on it and I'm like, I'm so grateful she and I had each other because we really could yes. like relate um, to one another. So, but yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I, I had good friends and honestly for it to be as a small town and everyone know everything, it, it was good. Like that part was good. Yeah. I think I just internalized a lot. Do you remember like how you felt in elementary school? Like for me personally, I remember feeling mm -hmm. like a lot of anxiety as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. and just, I always felt different. How did you feel in elementary school? Yes. So I felt very anxious all the time. I always, always thought my mom was going to die, um, which is such a dramatic, like, I feel so sorry for that little girl that I was, but, and I can't even tell you, like, what it was. You know, I've done a lot of therapy myself, and I've really tried to think, okay, well, what what was it that made me like almost have this panic that I was going to be left, but I just always was afraid that my mom was going to die. Um, and I would have panic attacks as a little girl. Uh, I mean, I can remember like breathing in paper bags because like back then that's what they told yeah. you to do. But you know, um, I didn't, we didn't do anything though to really help it. I mean, we would try to talk like, oh, it'll be okay. But like, I never felt calm unless I was like with my mom or my grandmother. They were like my safe place. My dad was an addict um, and was just chaotic. You know, it was yeah. just really chaotic. I wonder if it was that fear of, you know, if your mom is your safe space, yeah. it's almost like your survival is connected to her being around and the thought yeah. of losing her was probably unimaginable. Yeah, it it was. I would have like, um, if my mom told me, I'll be there to pick you up at school at 3.05 and it was 3.05 and she was not there, I would just start bawling, crying. I mean, instantly. It, it was, it was awful. <laughs> I didn't like ever want to leave her. I, I don't know. It was like, I always wanted to protect her and make sure she was okay, which now that I've done a lot of therapy myself, I realized like I was, I tried to just make sure she was okay all the time. You know, I was like a little adult, um, yeah. all the time. And it's, you know, it's not her fault. It's no one's fault, but it's just when you're a child, you can pick up on addiction and, it's a big why I decided like, you know what, alcohol is just not serving me. And I don't ever want my children to ever feel the way I felt as a little girl. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of attachment styles and mm -hmm. there's kind mm -hmm. of three main attachment styles. There's anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and secure attachment. And children typically develop an attachment style in early childhood, depending on the situation with caregivers. And when a parent is regularly using a substance, it's hard to have a secure attachment because there's inconsistency mm -hmm. and unpredictability. And 
that yeah. can lead to a lot of of anxiety and just it was definitely all those things. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like you your anxiety with your mom is probably partially like you were picking up on everything that she was having to deal with with your yeah. dad, you know, and, and maybe yeah. that was your way of kind of protecting her and protecting the relationship as much as you could. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I I think so. I think I felt this pressure and like I said, I don't think she meant to do it. You know, it's not her fault, but I just, I cared and loved her so much. I just, I wanted her to be happy. And so it was like, I was just determined to never make anyone, I never wanted her to be unhappy on my behalf. So I would just try not be perfect, but I never wanted her to know I was sad about my dad's addiction or I never allowed anyone to see how I really felt. But to be honest and be fair, like I didn't, I didn't even understand how I felt until I started doing therapy myself four years ago. I just, I, I don't know, Jane, you probably know all these terms better than me, but I didn't, I knew something wasn't right and I mm -hmm. knew I had a lot of trauma, but I did not know how to verbally express any of it. Mm -hmm. And it would just make me feel crazy, like extreme yeah. overwhelm and um, yeah, it was not fun. No. Well, can you share with us a little bit about what that journey of healing has looked like for you? Yes. So a big part of the healing journey for me, I guess we can start back to... Um, I'm just going to start back when I really started using alcohol heavily mm -hmm. um, because it's just a big part of my story and I think it'll, I think it'll help. I hope it will help someone maybe listening, but like I, um, you know, my dad was just in addiction um, nonstop until I was 15 and the only reason he stopped using was because he was arrested and had to go to prison. Um, so I was 15, started dabbling in alcohol, but it, it wasn't m much. It was more just, this is kind of what is kind of what you do in a small town. You go to someone's house and sneak the vodka and Mm -hmm. Take some shots and, you know, yeah. move along, move along with your day. <laughs> teenagers do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then when I went to college, so, and I feel like, I don't know if, if you guys feel this way too, but I feel like college, I hear this so much, like college is just such a time, I think, when you, you do have your independence and you don't have your structures that maybe you were used to and it's like a free for all and you're just like around all kinds of people all the time. And like, I had definitely had social anxiety, but I didn't know how to say I had social anxiety. <laughs> so I drank. Um, yeah. The, and the I quickest just, way yeah. on that social anxiety. Yeah. And so I just, you know, and everyone around you does it. And I just sort of always in the back of my head, it felt like a tug of war. It was like, oh, why are you doing this? Like you swore you would never be like your dad. But then on the other side, it was like, well, this is just what everyone does. And you're fine. You're only 18. It's not that big of a deal. Stop making it so dramatic. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So you kind of had um, these different voices in your mind. Like yeah. you 
you've got like the worried voice and then the false comfort and just kind of going oh, back yeah. and I forth. Mean, it, it, it's, it has always been an internal uh, struggle within me. I mean, even when I like loved, loved it, right? I just always, the next day I would wake up and be like, ugh, the guilt and shame. It's just awful. Such uh, a hamster wheel. Um, well, the guilt and shame and then just the anxiety that's there anyway. It's you awful. Know, just our uh, brains just are depleted of those neurotransmitters that help us feel good. And so it's hard to yeah. process all those emotions in that state. Absolutely. And that's just, that's a whole other thing. But like, I didn't even realize any of this until like a year ago. Yeah. Like all the science behind alcohol and what it does to the brain and dopamine and all that. I was yes. just like, my mind was literally blown. Well, same. Um, I know. Um, but then, I don't know. I think... Maybe it's like, I think like you're just forced to look at your life a little bit when you're on your own in college. And like, I felt like everyone around me just was so put together and I did not feel that way at all. And it, I didn't have like shame. Like you might think around like knowing my dad was in prison. It was, it, it's such a weird dynamic. Like there was a part of me that felt like Oh, it's no big deal. It's just part of my story. But then, of course, there's the part that's like, I wanted a normal family. I didn't enjoy, like, sharing. Like, oh, yeah, well, actually, my dad's (laughs) in prison, so I won't be here this weekend. So, I mean, I think I was trying to numb a lot of the, like, what did feel like embarrassment. Um, And And probably grief, too. Great, you know, yes, like that grief. is gone. He's still alive, but mm-hmm. you can't have him in your life for sure. Oh yeah, definitely grief. Um, but again, I d- I didn't have, I didn't know how to express any of it. Um. So then, um, I started dating someone, and I really think that chunk of my life from eighteen to twenty four was just pretty dark. For me, that's when I really started using alcohol to cope. I was very depressed. I just turned to it to numb any type of emotion that I felt. Um, And it worked, you know, it worked until it didn't work. But the healing part for me, um, I just wanted to share that just so people kind of know a little bit, like, it was pretty dark there for a while and it was, it was definitely a coping mechanism, but it, you know, I just didn't know how to say any of that. And, and a lot of times I think it has to get hard and painful and difficult mm-hmm. before we're motivated to do the hard and painful, difficult work that healing requires. Yeah. Cause it is hard, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to feel everything and it's hard to change. Um, I've learned like through sobriety, like, um, being uncomfortable is the only way I'm going to feel comfortable. <laughs> um, and that's, that's uncomfortable in itself and, and change is, is hard, but it's been, it has truly been such a gift and one that I just, I never want to go back. I never want to go back to where I was. Can I ask a quick question about your dad? Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, so did he go to prison when you were 15? Yes. When I was 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long was he away? Eight and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Long time. 
Um, and he, you know, there's so much, uh, like we just talk about, um, childhood trauma now so much more than we used to. And he had a horrible childhood, you know, and I'm not like, I've, I never agreed with how he went about dealing with things. Um, but I can understand now he went through such a hard childhood. They were really poor and his mother died when he was very, very young and his dad was an addict, a lot of physical, emotional abuse. Um, and he just got in with people who said, Hey, you can make some money. And he did. And, you know, I think it, then it turned into an addiction though. Um, he was addicted to cocaine and alcohol. That was his drugs of choice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Yeah, it was, sounds like you have, you have a lot of compassion for him. Like he, he went through a lot of his own trauma and was probably just doing the best he could with the resources that he had at hand. Yeah, yeah. I have forgiven him, you know, and we had a really great chat. Um, he's since passed. I don't know okay. if he knew that or not. He passed away in 2014. Okay. Uh, but he and I definitely, like, made amends, and, like, I loved him very much, and he's a big reason. Um, you know, I want to use his pain and the pain that addiction uh, caused him and our family, and my own story. And I really do feel like there's purpose in it. And I want to kind of shine the light on that part. Like I know things can look really dark, but there really is hope. And, you know, I, I got to witness that. And so that, that is like the really cool part of it. It was really, really bad. And then he really did change. So it's cool. Yes. I mean, that's so healing that you were able to see him heal and yeah. change and transform his life. Well, he got saved in prison. And, um, you know, that's just a big part of my story also is like my faith and, you know, watching him transform truly from the inside out, like a completely different person was like, it could only be God. Yeah. yeah. It's- so when you were in when you were a teenager and he went to jail originally and you mm-hmm. I remember you saying at some point like there were some weekends that you weren't mm-hmm. at home did you go visit your dad or no yes so my mom um stayed with my father um she was just super loyal truly like I like to think like I got that from her like I feel like I'm a really loyal person through and through and I mean I think that my mom really just showed me like you you stick through things with people and she just she didn't agree with him but she loved him and she was gonna see him through to the end and she did so we always went and saw him um when he was when he was in Kentucky we would go see him once um every weekend Uh, But then he got transferred to Greensville, Illinois, uh, the last five years of his sentencing. So we would go once a month just because it was such a drive. It was devastating for him. Yeah, it was. I mean, and I love like um, prison ministry. You know, it's like got a soft spot in my heart. It always will. And so I think for him... um, you know, just knowing his story and uh, meeting inmates, 
in prison they just made mistakes like all of us and yes yeah like i think him having to be, have his family removed so uh dramatically <laughs> was was really hard um but the the times we all did get to spend together it was really nice and um you know it's just one of those things again that like i never want to forget it you know i think it's made me have a lot of compassion uh and empathy for people and I, I don't think I would have been that way had I not walked that path with him. And just had the experience of interacting with other inmates and yeah. realizing, oh, these are just Yeah. Also humans and yes. they have a lot of beautiful, wonderful qualities and they made some mistakes and nobody wants to be remembered by their worst mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. A lot of, I mean, right, of course. I mean, I don't know everyone's story in prison, but the men and women that I did get to meet, they all either probably had a lot of childhood trauma or an addiction along the way. So, yeah, just a lot of compassion for them. For sure. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, I know that you have been through a lot in your life, but you've also learned some really valuable lessons, like the loyalty from your mom which a lot of people don't get that opportunity to watch a parent, you know, like really support another parent in the way that your mom did. That's incredible. I know. It really, um, she really, really did just love my dad. Like Mm -hmm. she just loved him. She didn't love what he did, (laughs) Um, but she loved him. And, you know, I think it was just in a time also, like, she wanted me to have a mother and a father, even if that meant, like, because he wasn't, I don't want to paint this like, oh, he was a great dad, because he wasn't in the beginning, you know. I mean, my mom and grandparents definitely raised me, <laughs> but it, there's a redemption story there. So it's cool that I got to see it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about the redemption story. Uh, His or mine or both? (laughs) Both. Both. Whichever, Uh, yeah, whichever you feel led to share. Well, I mean, for him, he, you know, like, I guess I would consider him, you know, like the traditional, like what you would imagine an addict, you know, like just totally strung out, lived in like his dad's house some. I wouldn't see him for weeks at a time. I mean, just, just a mess, you know? And that to me, I just, I think that's probably what like society would view as like a alcoholic, you know, like someone who truly struggles. And stereotypical. Yes. alcoholic or yes. addict. Yes. And that was not my story at all from, from my own journey. But for him, when he got arrested, his, um, I mean, you know, he was angry. He was, um, resistant. He was detoxing, you know, he had a lot of like the, the DTs just, mm-hmm. it was, um, a, a much more aggressive, Um, I guess, ending for him to like remove the drugs and alcohol because it was so abrupt. So the first year of him being in prison was pretty, um, I think, just like a roller coaster ride. It's like, I'm sure a lot of grief. I'm sure a lot of dealing with guilt and shame because you're just flooded with the reality of like all these choices you have done 
for years are it's over and it's landed at you in prison. So it's just a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, so, but one, one big thing that happened, um, I don't know, I guess like probably mm, six months into him being in prison was he, we went to visit him, my mom and I, and, um, you know, he came out, like the guard allowed him to come behind the glass and like, I'm holding the phone and he's holding the phone, like in these movies, you know, and he just, I will just never forget this. It's like etched in my brain, what he said to me. Um, and I was 15. So it's like, I just look back on this and I'm like, wow, that was a lot to process as a 15 year old. But he was behind the glass and just bawling, crying. And I had never really seen my dad cry at that point, you know. And and to be honest, like, he wasn't this warm, fuzzy person. It wasn't, um, I cared about him a lot, but I just was so angry at him. Um, but he was just bawling, crying. And he said to me, I feel like I've been stripped naked, wrapped around uh, with barbed wire and everyone is just staring at me in like a, a town square. Wow. And he just like looked at me and I know it's like, I, I know. And, um, he just asked me to forgive him. He was like, will you please forgive me? And, um, it was just one of those moments where I didn't, there was no hesitation. Like I knew he meant it. I could visibly see how sorry he was, how much pain he was enduring. And so I just instantly felt compassionate towards him. And it's like my anger just washed away. Um, and that moment for him, which is really neat, allowed him to then begin going to Bible studies inside um, the prison. Because I think prior to that, of course, he had guilt and shame with like his choices. But I think he also had the realization of I've been a really crappy d dad and a really mm -hmm. crappy like um, partner. <laughs> yeah. And so I think me forgiving him just allowed him to soften and open up um, to these women who were coming into the prison and doing, um, prison ministry. So he was going for about, I think it, I think it ended up being like five months. He was consistently attending these Bible studies and just one of these Bible studies he went to, um, the lady who was leading it looked at him and said, Hey, bright eyes. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And, um, I don't know what it was about her talking to him like that and calling him bright eyes, but it just softened him and he went back into his cell and he gave his life to Christ. Wow. And he said that like the desire for drugs and alcohol in that moment were just eradicated. It was just like he had, I think, allowed what Jesus did on the cross to really like intersect his heart and change his mind. Um, and did not know any of this had happened though, until fast forward my own journey. Cause he never told me, he never wanted me to feel like he was preaching at me because I think in his mind, he was probably like, I have no business telling her anything about anyone or any, you know, cause he had kind of messed it up. Um, but 
after like when we were discussing earlier, like my years of 18 to 24 were pretty hectic for me. Um, but during that process, I was in beauty school. Um, and this was when I was really heavily into partying and like just trying to numb and I would buy cute bags. I would buy cute, like, you know, I was just trying to fill my life with material. Distract and yourself with worldly pleasures. Yes. or I was just, yeah, I was just trying to do anything to feel good in the moment, which meant partying a lot. And um, I just will never forget this girl. I was in beauty school with her and she just said to me one day, she's like, you know, you can come to church with me. Um, anytime you want. And I remember just being like, oh, you're so weird. Like, no way. I am not going to church. Oh, and I left this part out. I didn't grow up in church. So like we would go sometimes, but not a lot. Wasn't a regular part of your week or your life. Yeah, no. Um, And I just thought she was really weird. I was like, (laughs) That's great, but no thanks. And I've already disqualified myself. Like, I've partied my way around. I've made a lot of bad choices that I'm not proud of, so I'm disqualified. And, um, but one night I went out, just got super drunk, and I fell um, at this bar. And the only way I know how to explain this is like when I fell, I feel like I had this vision of my dad laying drunk on the couch. And it scared me um, because I feel like it was like my subconscious almost being like, hey, if you don't get it together, you're going to end up just like how you swore you never wanted to be. Yeah. And um, so I texted her and I just said, can we meet at Starbucks tomorrow before school? She said yes. And we met and um, I just, it was like the first time I admitted to anyone like, I think I'm drinking too much. I am not happy. I'm really sad. Like saying all this out loud, that was a big deal. Cause like I just kept it in and I, I just didn't know how to talk about any of it. Um, and it's scary if you've never talked about it before. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I think I just always pretended like everything was great. Mm -hmm. Everything's just Mm -hmm. great. And she just looked at me and she just said, partying, I think you've tried like the cute bags. I think you've tried all these things, but I don't think you've ever tried Jesus. And I, I was like, no, I haven't, but I, I'm not good. (laughs) And she's like, well, that's the point of the cross. (laughs) Um, But I really didn't know that. And so I hope whoever like hears this on the other side, like really does know, like, you don't have to be perfect because I genuinely thought that. I really thought you had to be perfect to be saved. Um, I thought like I had already messed up too much. Like I was just so dirty and disqualified and unworthy of this like grace and love that she was telling me about. And little did I know though that my dad had been praying for me for years um, to have my own encounter with Jesus. And it all began with a woman saying bright eyes to him and being kind to him. And, um, you know, it's just, I think that's why our stories are so powerful mm-hmm. because if it wasn't for me forgiving my dad and 
then him receiving my forgiveness and then taking the step to go into these Bible studies and hear the truth, you know, what Jesus really can do for you. Like our identity is not in our past. It's not in the things we've done. Condemnation is of the enemy, not conviction. So there's, they're just very different things. And, you know, I just think there's so much power in sharing that because if you were like me, I really felt dirty and like I couldn't receive the love of Christ. Like a sense um, of unworthiness. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like in a way your dad, you were saying you you think he probably felt that way too. And it's like when somebody called him bright eyes, it's like they could see that version of him, like the childlike version of him that was beneath yeah. all of the mistakes he had made and the guilt and the shame. And it sounds like your friend was like, look, you don't, you don't need to be perfect to qualify. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need Christ if you were perfect. Yeah. No, but like that was such a big um, realization for me because prior to that, I just truly didn't know. I, um, so that was like the beginning of the healing journey. Um, I definitely did not immediately get saved and then it was just all great. It's been such a process. Um, and I know that, you know, like I said, though, for whatever reason, it's just been my journey to it. And now I just want to go back in the pit and help women get out of it. Yes. And usually That's it amazing. is a process of ups and downs and seeds being planted here and there. Yeah. Not this drastic thing that happens overnight. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, because when I, because I've been sober now a year and what is it, Amanda? A year and four months? Because we're a day apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the beauty in both of those stories with you and your dad is like, it was just a very kind person that led you guys on this beautiful path that you're on now. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. Now you're just... going back in and doing the same thing. You're being that kind spirit and that kind person mm -hmm. to help other people, women or men get on the same path that you're on now. Um, yeah, that's my hope. And I really do pray that a lot. Like, I just hope that I can at least do a seed, you know, just a mustard seed. And, you know, if we get to see the fruit from it, then what a gift. But if not, like, there's just so much hope. Because um, people really do change. You know, I think we see all the bad all the time. But, like, there really is so much redemption. And change is so possible. Absolutely. Will you? I think a lot of people will benefit from the language that you mentioned what all of the language that you learned in therapy I think that is such a powerful point putting words to the feelings and emotions can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah like um I think one thing that my therapist has really helped me learn is like we can't heal from what we cannot name and that um I didn't even know how to name what I felt um so Doing that has been such a healing journey for myself. I think I think I just felt a lot of unworthiness again, a lot of guilt and shame, especially when it came to drinking. Um, I definitely had that internal, like, um, just the war within. I felt like where I never wanted like my children um, to see me drunk or to see me hungover, because it would give me such bad anxiety. Um, 
And it would almost send me back into being little girl and like looking through the eyes of my children. And um, so that's been really helpful to realize like a lot of this is childhood trauma. And I didn't know that. And like when I say it all out loud, it's like, oh, well, of course it was. (laughs) But but I really I just I didn't have any tools. I just didn't have uh, any tools at all. I had no awareness. I just was going on like I didn't want to feel things. So I would drink to not feel things. And then I would do the hamster wheel of guilt and shame. And you guys know it's just exhausting. (laughs) Yes. Takes a lot of work. Did that answer your question? I don't know if that answered that. No, you did. You did. I, I think that that itself is a really powerful tool for people to explore is just being able to name how you're feeling and the vocabulary around it. There's a book by Brene Brown. I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, Atlas of the Heart. Yeah. And it just identifies, gives um, definitions of all these feelings and emotions. And Mm. I think for me, that was just really powerful to like know the difference between all of these things and and just be able to name all of this different stuff. Yeah, she talks about yeah. how most people can name three emotions, happy, sad, mad. And oh, in her book, yeah. she identifies like, she defines like 80-something emotions. And it, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. No, that is. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll say, like, I think I'm still learning, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely don't know. Do any of us arrive? Like, I don't know. But no. I, I still, um, I still struggle with like, identifying like how I feel sometimes, but I'm, I'm a lot better than I used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to get in the habit of remembering to stop and check in and be like, Oh, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. That's, that's what this is. And just slowing down and acknowledging that can be helpful. Yeah. 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 And when we're in this place of trying to help people, I think it's really powerful for those people that we're trying to help when we acknowledge that we're like, we haven't arrived and we're still on this journey and we plan to continue on this journey. And we're just like striving to be like 1% better every day. Because yeah. if we have arrived, it's like, it's hard for people to relate to us. You yes. Know? Oh, I, sure. I love that you said that because it makes me think about, um, I was talking to a girl the other day about this and it's just, I don't know Miss Perfect and I could never be her. I could never be friends with her because I don't even like, what does that even mean? (laughs) It sounds really boring. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and just like, I think that's why being vulnerable though and like sharing her stories, at least for me, I know like it is one of the biggest tools that has truly helped my life. And I think that's why I am so passionate too about sharing my story Uh, because if it wasn't for podcast, and hearing these women share their stories, I don't know that I wouldn't not still be drinking. You know, it gave me so much hope to hear other people share their stories. Absolutely. And um, I am just forever grateful for that. And like, you know, the girl who led me to Christ, it's like, had she not just shared with me, you know, I don't know if I'd be saved. You know, I'd, I'd like to think I would, but you know, I don't know. Um, so it's like, there's just so much power in sharing 
our stories. I just so feel that like in my bones. Yes, absolutely. It's really easy for us to like look at another woman and think yeah. like she is little Miss Perfect or whatever. Yeah. And, and feel like that person feels that way also. And then you have one conversation and you're like, oh, wow, she's just human, just like me. <laughs> like we're all just, but it takes being vulnerable for yeah for anybody to ever realize that. Otherwise, we do walk around and sometimes make a judgment that someone is something different than what they might actually be. Yeah. Can you share with us a little bit about what led you to give up alcohol? You know, you said it had been a little over five days. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's 502 today. That's awesome. Um, I know. Thanks. I know. I'm just so grateful. Um, but yes, I will share that. I think that, like I said, I have, even when I looked like I was having fun drinking, um, and that nothing crazy happened. That's the thing, you know, like I, I hear my dad's story and his addiction story and it's just like so intense, but then mine, I thank goodness. I never, it was never that bad. Um, I had spent, I think, like the last eight years after my girls were born, um, just really struggling with drinking. And I was like a weekend drinker. It's like I would live for the weekend. I was not a everyday drinker. I was not a um drink during the day kind of person. It was just, I would overindulge, um, on the weekends. And I just like found myself like living for the weekend. And I, I, I I don't know. It's like, I came to this awareness, like there just has to be more than this. So when I turned 35, we went to dinner with, a uh, one of my really good friends and her husband. And, um, I had a little bit too much to drink, nothing crazy, but I woke up the next day on the couch. Um, and I just remember thinking like, I don't, and, and I really have thought about this. I'm like, what made me quit like that day? I don't know. I think it's just like a real God thing because I just felt like deep within, like there just had to be more than these stupid hangovers and this quick flash of dopamine and for what like for 20 minutes of the dopamine effect (laughs) and then it I don't know I just I told my husband that morning I was like you know I think I'm done drinking and he was like forever (laughs) and I was like yeah I think um I think so and he he was just sort of like oh okay like I think he thought I was just like probably hung over and didn't feel good. And he's probably like, Oh, poor Anne. She's just having H-mine. one of her, her anxiety <laughs> moments. Yeah. Like the anxiety was kicking in. Um, yeah. but I knew I meant it. Like I knew deep down, like, I just feel like it was like the knocking on my heart from the Lord who was just like, you've got to lay this down. And like, I promise if you'll trust me, it's so much better. And, um, I think I was just so sick of the cycle, the hamster wheel of Mm -hmm. guilt and shame, just chugging water, like to just rehydrate because I was dehydrated, eat anything I could to not feel queasy. And it just, I felt so out of alignment 
with who I knew I could be. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just started like, I would listen to podcast all day long. (laughs) That's my podcast. I love them. Like I just, I love them so much. They were such a like lifeline for me in the beginning, like rewiring my brain, learning about the science about alcohol and like what it really does to the brain and the body. Yes. That Huberman lab episode is. And um, I love Jill with sober powered, um, to just like, especially the science, um, that really, really did help me because I didn't, you all probably feel the same way. I really, big alcohol is definitely not talking about this. No, nobody's talking about the fact that it's a carcinogen and can lead to dementia and yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know, I just came to the end of myself with it and I just knew there was so much more, um, and I, I just, like I said, I never wanted my children to have memories of like their mom laying on the couch. Like that was like just a big trigger for me, I guess. Like I just never wanted them to ever associate me with drinking alcohol because I know how it made me feel as a little girl, um, with my dad's addiction mm-hmm. and, you know, I didn't do it for them you know, I know we're not supposed to say like, oh, I did it for someone else, but I did it for myself, but my girls and my husband, like I just knew there was, there's so much more beauty behind life than the dopamine hit that you get for 20 minutes. With your spiritual journey, I would imagine that there were some prayers said, you know, about what was going on with alcohol even if it wasn't super problematic, Mm -hmm. but if you were having, you know, some anxiety around your drinking, did you, you know, pray about it? And maybe that was just an answered prayer. Yeah, I I definitely would. I would definitely pray about it. I would ask the Lord a lot to just give me the desire to quit drinking, um, to get, give me strength. But I think for me, because I have thought about this too, I think, you know, condemnation is of the enemy like Mm -hmm. he comes to kill steal and destroy and sometimes I would get that twisted and like condemnation and conviction are very different like conviction is from the Holy Spirit and it's like hey you're better than this and my daughter I want you clean I want you happy there's so much more for you um so I definitely had to kind of rewire my brain a little bit too. Like God's not mad at me. He's not mad at anyone who may be listening. Um, but it is our responsibility. You know, he's not, not just going to wave a wand and it's all just dandy. But so it's our responsibility to, to take the step to get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like get out of the boat and you might have to walk on the water. You don't know what, what it's going to look like. But, um, so I felt convicted, um, for several years, if I'm honest, like, but I just kept choosing my flesh. I was just like, Oh, well, I just want to keep doing what I want to do. And it's not bad. Like I'm not that bad. Everyone else does it. And you know, all the things that we say to ourselves and we romanticize it. Yeah. It can feel super scary. If just like, well, how, what will happen if I quit drinking? How will I manage 
my social life or how will I get through, you know, whatever it is that you feel like alcohol gives you. I think that it feels very scary to think about life without that. Oh my gosh. I know. I like my husband, I'm so proud of him. Um, he's actually not drank now for almost eight months. Um, I know, but it's, I think it's because it's not because of me. Um, you know, he's on his own journey with it, but I do think him seeing me and like how much like happier I was and how much more energy I had in the morning and like just I think it just inspired him to realize, okay, well if she can do this, I can do it too. Her life is looking pretty good right now and doesn't yeah, look like, like deprivation. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, but it was scary. I mean, and I can totally relate to those fears. I mean, I think they're very normal. I think we're normal for feeling that way. Oh yeah. Because change is hard. I mean, and it was a big change. Um, but gosh, it's a privilege, not a punishment. I feel like I say that a lot, but I really feel that way. I think that it's so powerful when we change our mindset to, you know, that this is a gift. Like we're not, we didn't, we, we weren't bad and we just are punishing ourselves now. It's like we're able to gift ourselves this wonderful free life instead of being caged into whether it be addiction or not addiction, however we want to look at it. I think that those couple of years when you were experiencing um, conviction, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. That was probably also like the contemplation of like, you thinking about getting quitting drinking, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yes, I, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, it was it was scary um, to think about giving it up. Because like, like I said, like earlier, I don't really have any sober friends in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I have one. Um, <laughs> and like, she's awesome. But it it is scary. But goodness, I would not let that just burn me. Um, from doing it because I would never want to go back. Also, everybody now, I feel like it's so authentic, like who I talk mm-hmm. to. It's just like, like I was saying, like it's instant connection. It's like you just instantly feel safe with people. Um, and I don't, I didn't feel that way before. I would have to drink to be around people that I really didn't even want to be around or be at places I didn't really even want to be at. Like, it's crazy when I say it out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what What was I doing? But yeah, we do I think, it. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people feel that way. I know I did. You know, if there's an event that you're, you yeah. feel like you need to go to, but you don't really want to, it doesn't sound fun or appealing. So, okay, yeah. well, I'll just have a few drinks and that'll make it fun. And I've gotten to the point yeah. where I've just accepted, like, if, if I need alcohol to make it fun, maybe it's just not my kind of thing. and It's okay for yeah. me to not go. I think that's something I've learned um, in sobriety, too, and, like, um, awareness about that. Like, I don't even think I was aware prior no. to, to even thinking about that, though. Like, I would just do things out of um, obligation. Um, and now uh, my yeses are just so much more intentional and wholesome. And, like, hanging out with you guys. Like, it's just, like I could do this all day long. Like, I... This makes me feel so much more like my purpose is being met, like by hope, like helping someone, um, you know, versus being out at a bar 
Like it just sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, mm. with a with a, I mean, I'd like to just go ahead and name it with as drinking buddy. Like a lot of the times, yeah. I was hanging out with just women that were drinking buddies, and you know, all of yeah. those drinking buddies fell away when I quit drinking and they were replaced with like real friendships. And like you said, it it's not easy to be, especially, it's especially not easy to be the sober girl in a world full of people that are drinking and for people to know about that, you know, it, it's yeah. uncomfortable. Um, but nonetheless, it's a complete power move for sure. Yeah. And I think it gets easier too. For me, it's gotten so much easier than it me was too. in the beginning. Yeah. No, me too. I mean, now I, I tell everyone that I, I just don't drink anymore. And um, I just say, I, my response is always like, it just made me feel terrible. And it's like, no one can argue that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody enjoys yeah. a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, and, and I have also found like, um, I think a lot of people suffer. In silence. And then, Absolutely. you know, I I used to not talk about, I would get like, um, I would just, honestly, I'd pretend like I was drinking. I'd get a mocktail, but no one would know. And then I just, yeah, I think I just got more confident and um, more secure with like, I think this is a forever change. And like, it's something to be proud of. Like, I'm, I'm proud of myself for going against the grain. And, um, you know, learning to feel things and doing things like even if I do have social anxiety, it's like, it's not going to kill me. It's yeah. going to be fine. I yes. will. I may not love how it feels, but I will be okay. And the world will not end. Yeah. And just getting curious about it and watching your social anxiety over the course of a social event and noticing, oh, it actually dissipates on its own. If I just give it some yeah. time and get warmed up, it's going to go down without ever taking a drink. Yes. And um I thought no one else had social anxiety. Isn't that funny? Because now like doing like all the sober podcasts, it's like, "Oh my gosh, it's so normal. Everyone so has normal. it." But like no one talks about it. And it's like, yeah. "You you're so normal, girl. Like you're yeah. totally fine. Yeah. It's okay. Everybody has it." For sure. Uh, one of the things you said a minute ago is that, you know, you were for a little while getting mocktails, not telling anybody. And then you got to the point where you just said, I'm not drinking or I don't drink anymore. For mm -hmm. me, that was a really powerful statement to go from telling people, well, um, I'm not drinking tonight to test to saying I'm not drinking anymore because tonight's just, it's not really owning the fact that you're not drinking anymore. And I think people come up with an excuse too, like, well, just have one then. You don't have to have more than one or, you know, some people try to talk you out of it a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I've, thankfully, I've not had a lot of pushback um, when I've told people. If anything, I, like I said, it's like you can't really argue with someone when they're like, yeah, it made me feel really bad. <laughs> it made me nah. have really bad anxiety. I just say that, like, because it's the truth. I'm like, my anxiety would be so bad that I just I'm like this is I do not want to live like this. This is not joyous whatsoever. No. Well, what has been super helpful for you in continuing on this journey? What if you had to give other people out there some advice about just 
how to be successful or how to find peace on this path? What's been helpful? Mm, um, I mean, for me, the podcast number one, like because I was never a a a kind of gal. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. I've never like labeled myself that. Um, and I I think AA is great. It's just I could not relate to that. Um, and so I found my support through podcast, um, sober podcast, and it, truly it. It is the number one thing that helped me the most um, because I would listen to them every day. Um, I mean, I still listen to them every day. (laughs) And um, I just, like I said, it's the stories. It's like it gives you so much hope just hearing other men and women share. Like, we're not alone. I think for me, a big struggle in life has been like I have felt alone a lot whether it was just childhood stuff, um, being like the only one whose father was in prison, like it just big, big things that made me feel really alone. And it's like, you're not alone with, um, how alcohol makes you feel like you're not crazy. You're not bad. Alcohol just did its job and it's addictive and it just did its job. And so that was, that's number one. And then also I think, um, I joined a sober girl group and that was really helpful for me because I joined it in June. Um, and I did that on purpose because for me, the summer months, for whatever reason, a patio was always, I found myself romanticizing alcohol and just being like, Oh, wine on a patio. Like I just could kind of sense myself romanticizing it. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to get some extra support. And that was awesome. I mean, another one of those, like, you're not alone. Um, You're talking with women who are in the exact same boat as you. I mean, you're just trying, you're, you're just trying to like better your life and recognize like you don't need alcohol anymore. Um, And so just having that extra support was great. And then I guess like the third thing, like for me, I mean, faith's really important to me. Um, So your church or like a local Bible study, something like that, because at the end of the day, it's community and Mm -hmm. we all need community. Um, We don't need to isolate. And um, that's how shame does is when we um, share. Absolutely. And I think something, a common theme through those three things you mentioned is connection, you know, connecting Mm -hmm. other people's stories through podcasts and connecting through a similar faith background and then connecting in an alcohol-free women's group. It doesn't have to be AA. AA is great for those who relate to that. And Mm -hmm. they're, you know, one of the wonderful things that I'm so grateful for is there are so many other options these days of online women's groups or men's groups or mixed groups and even in-person options are becoming more and more available. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Definitely the connection piece. I mean, and I think that's what I have truly realized with sobriety is like I craved connection so deeply. And I never felt connected when I was drinking. It was just all fake. Um, So 
truly experiencing connection, like on a real deep level, has been so very healing. And also, uh, just it's like you get to pay it forward now. Like, I really do hope that um, our stories will just help someone on the other side listening because it really is the thing that got me sober was just hearing other people's stories. Absolutely. And realizing you're not alone. Yeah, truly. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us and sharing your story. It just, it takes a lot of courage and you just shared beautifully and and we thank you for that. Thank you guys. Anytime. If y'all need another, you know, round two, I'm available. Absolutely. (laughs) We're we're definitely going to need a round two. Yes, we are. That was, that was beautiful. You have a really touching, vulnerable story that like, I don't know, could bring people to tears and, you know, you just share it really beautifully. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We truly value each one of you. In support of the podcast, please follow or subscribe to the Mindful Sobriety Podcast. We'd love to connect with you via Instagram at Jane W. Ballard and or DFW Yoga Girl, sending you love and light.